0: Bible, uh, please open it to Matthew chapter 5 you We're going to be looking at verses twenty-one through twenty-seven. Matthew chapter five, verses twenty-one through twenty-seven. Can you can you mute those mics, Demarco? <laughs> Matthew five, verses twenty-one through twenty-seven. I need the front mics muted, I'm getting feedback. (laughs) It's an echo, I don't like it. Thank you, sir. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I'm sure you're familiar with that uh, phrase if you were born around 1987. Uh, it was said by President Reagan. It was a reference to the Berlin Wall. And on June the, second, June the 12th, 1987, he, he says to uh, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev. open this gate. Tear down this wall. Likewise, We, too, have a wall that needs to be torn down. All of us. If you want true freedom, true peace, true security, then that wall must come down. The wall in which I'm talking about is a wall that is built around self-righteousness, false righteousness. It's a wall that, that hides the brokenness in our lives from the view of others. But Jesus... As I said last week, Jesus sees clearly behind the wall. He chips away at the wall, stone by stone, brick by brick. He takes his hammer and his chisel and he chips away. And he chips away. For he wants all of us, me included, to see our brokenness. Because all of us are mutually broken people before the throne of God. All of us are. And Jesus brings us face to face with that. And so if you have your Bible... Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. This is God's word, not Alex's, so don't get mad with me. You have heard it said of, of those of old, if you, if you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Fathers, we come to your truth. We come to this knowing this is not the opinion of man, though you use man to write it, but it is the very word of God, your very word, as if you spoke it into existence. Lord. Your word. And so none of us are, I'm not worthy to handle your truth. I know that. But Lord, you use broken people to fulfill your purposes in life. I thank you for that. And I call out to your spirit, Father, that he will come. We need him to come. Because if he does not come, nothing happens. Nothing gets done. Lives are not changed. Hearts are not changed. If the spirit does not move. We can coast along, Lord, in gifts. We can coast along in talents. We can use resources. But, Father, we want revival in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own families. And that can happen if your spirit does not come, if he does not move. And so I pray that he would take, that he would use this foolish thing as preaching to encourage those who need to be encouraged. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In in, in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 27, Jesus continues to chip away at our wall of false righteousness. But he gets a little more specific here. And he wants us to to, to face the reality that that, that we are a, a group of mutually broken people who are riding dirty in our vehicle life. That we are a group of mutually broken people riding dirty In the vehicle of our life. Riding dirty means that we do not fulfill all the requirements of the Sixth Commandment. It means we fall short of it. And here in these passages, Jesus is going to reveal those things to us. He's going to show these things to us. That people who ride dirty fall short of the Sixth Commandment. The Ten Commandments. Do you know what they are? they are, They are called God's moral law to mankind. His moral law given to us. And if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, the first five commandments deal with what? Man's relationship to God. The second five deal with what? Man's relationship to one another. And the Sixth Commandment is the first of those commandments that deal with your relationship to your fellow man. And it states you shall not commit murder. You should not commit murder. In the sixth commandment, it is prohibiting premeditated murder or homicide. And in the Old Testament, those found guilty of this crime faced the death penalty as a consequence. And you see, the sixth commandment it, 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 it protected the sanctity of life. It says that all human life has value, even during, even those that have not been born yet have value. And all of them, why? Because they are all created in the image of God. If you're here today, you're created in God's image. Regardless of how you look or what you're going through, you're created in his image. You have value, you have dignity, you have self-worth. You are an image-bearer of God. But according to Jesus, something has happened to the, 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 the interpretation of this sixth commandment and how it has been applied in history, particularly when the, how the scribes and the Pharisees uh, understood it. And so he's here to correct their misunderstanding. He's not here to correct the Old Testament. He's here to correct our misunderstanding of it and how we misapply it. He says, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder is liable to judgment. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say God has said it doesn't say the word says it. He said, you have heard it said by other people, by so-and-so. So So what is he doing? What is he doing? He's getting ready to correct that misunderstanding. You see there, the historical interpretation of this verse during this time, it it reduced it to the physical act of murder. Basically, if I didn't kill anybody, then that meant I fulfilled all the requirements of the Sixth Commandment. That's how the Pharisees understood it. And and I think also, what about you? If you haven't committed murder, do you think you have fulfilled all that is expected in the Sixth Commandment? If you have not taken anyone's life? If you think that, do you just give yourself a check? Yeah, I got that one right. I'm good. Yes. I'm good. You'll say, I got it right. Not only that, you'll begin to think you're better. And those who are sitting on death row for murder. Well, I ain't that person. I, ain't, I'm, I get a check because I have not taken anybody's life. And you feel self justified. You give yourself a pat on the back because I'm good. I'm safe. I finally got one right. If anyone is a sinner that deserves hell, is anyone that committed murder, right? Right? We know they deserve it. And if I haven't committed murder, I've got to be more righteous than they. But remember what Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The requirements of the sixth commandment is much deeper than just the physical and external obedience. The requirement also applies to what is going on inside of you. What is eternal. You see, Jesus is going to show the Pharisees and you that, that you are actually riding dirty when it comes to the requirements of the Sixth Commandment. And if you know anything about hip-hop, you know riding dirty is a, is a reference to people driving around in a car and they got illegal substances in the car or a firearm in the car that's not legal. And so that person is riding dirty. On the outside, the car looks great. But on the inside, there's crime going on. And so what Jesus is telling you, on the outside of your life, it may look good. It may look nice. It may actually look like a Bentley. But on the inside of your life, there's crime going on. You are riding dirty. And you know what Jesus has called it? You know what he calls it? Hate and contempt. Anger and contempt. Inside your heart. Toward other people. So guess what? we all riding dirty. On the inside of our heart. there's crime taking place. And all of us are busted. All of us have fallen short. What did Jesus say in verse 22? But I say, oh yeah, not what they said, but I say, anyone who has, is angry with his brother would be liable to judgment. What? So, So you're saying, okay, the Sixth Commandment said I shouldn't commit murder. But now you're saying if I'm angry with my brother, if I'm angry with him, I'm liable to judgment. Come on, Jesus. C- come on. I mean, who can, who, can, who can fulfill that? Now you got it. No one can. Now you got it. That's the point. No one can. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to face the council. Insults? Really? And whoever says you're fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so at this point, you're like, I'm guilty. I, I am riding dirty because I, 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 no one can do that. And that's the whole point. Because what Jesus wants you to know is the issue of the heart. Right and dirty is an issue of the heart. It's a heart problem. And he wants you and the Pharisees to understand that the requirements of the sixth commandment is much deeper than that's what you see on the outside. And with these words, guess what? Jesus is chipping away at your wall of false righteousness. You may think you got a check mark, but that check mark was written in pencil, so you just need to erase it. Because you have not. I have not. I have not. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He's correcting that misunderstanding, that misinterpretation of the sixth commandment. See, the person who commits murder, premeditated murder, sinned long before the murder took place. That person was in sin long before the actual murder. Inside the person's heart. Inside a person's heart. And here, anger, anger here is not righteous anger. Like Jesus displayed. The anger that Jesus is referring to is the internal rage and hate you may have for another person. And what does James say about anger? For the anger a man does not produce. The righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It does not. This kind of anger means you're so furious with someone that you wish harm to come upon them. You wish harm to them. This is unrighteous anger. This is pride. This is vanity. This is malice. This is revenge is you having evil thoughts towards someone. And here, you have Christians that that promote hate. And that's breaking the Sixth Commandment. I saw an article on Facebook that the KKK is actually recruiting Christians in Alabama to join the organization. And so, as a believer, what's going on in your heart? In your heart, who have you murdered this week? Who have you hated on this week? Who are you angry with? Referees, <laughs> huh? That's a lot of that's a lot of mad old Miss fans right now. Refs, little league refs. Listen, I've, I've coached soccer, and trust me, I've said a lot of things about myself. for, for Coaching six-year-old boys in soccer. i like, man, I messed up. It's just kids. But I get angry at refs. It's a little league game. And what about in traffic? What about coworkers? What about neighbors? What about other parents in your school? What about on Tuesday? When you go to vote, who you're angry with? On Tuesday, your political hatred and biases will show itself if your particular party don't come out on top. There's gonna be a lot of mad Christians because so-and-so didn't win. Mark Twain says, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than anyone to which it's poured out on. Anger is an acid. They can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. It poisons you. It poisons your heart. And if, it, if you're controlled by anger, living in anger, then you're riding dirty in your heart. And you need Jesus to clean you out. Now Jesus tells us that people who have contempt in their hearts are also riding dirty. He says, he says, uh, and they also break the Sixth Commandment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Here Jesus is dealing with the verbal attacks toward other people. Fellow so believers, anyone is using your tongue as a lethal weapon in order to verbally murder someone else. Like anger, contempt is also in our hearts. It starts there. And contempt means that, that you see someone as beneath you. You see someone else as worthless. That's what contempt means. And so in your heart, you belittle them. You have disregard for them. And, and what flows out of a heart with contempt is lethal insults. And there are two that Jesus deals with here. First, he, he's a Greek word that's called rakah, which means empty-headed. It basically means you're calling someone a numbskull. That's what the word means. You're calling the person dumb or stupid. Basically, you insult the person's intelligence. If you watch political commercials, you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's, that can be the term that. You insult a person's intelligence, their mental capabilities. And Jesus said, if you do that, you're liable to the council. If you do that, You've broken the Sixth Commandment. If you do that, you do not value that person's life. That's what he's saying. An insult to a person's intelligence, it wounds their self-worth, their dignity, their value. You might not have physically killed them, but you hurt them on the inside. Teens and and, and middle schoolers and high school kids, they're, 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 they're... That's some of the worst places where this happens. Social media, it happens a lot there. What about you? The next term Jesus used there, he says, fool. This is contempt towards a person's character, their nature, their personality. Here the tongue is used to attack the person's moral qualities, the person's character. And there again, do you attack people's character calling the question their integrity. Who have you wounded this week? Who have you slandered this week? Who's guilty? Who's and dirty? One Christian says, Jesus' whole purpose is to show that all that is included in this, in this commandment, thou shalt not kill, does not necessarily mean destroying life physically. It means more than this. It means trying to destroy the spirit and soul. You can destroy a person in any shape or form. There are more ways to break the Sixth Commandment. You can do it in your heart and with your tongue. And when we do that, we are liable. Verbal insults to a person's intelligence and character, it does not uphold the sanctity of life. It does not. It wounds their dignity, their value, and self-worth. And so, where are you? Where am I? Again, Jesus is chipping away our wall of false righteousness to show us our own brokenness, to show us that, you know what, we're not as righteous as we appear on the outside. We're not better than the people we look down upon. We're not. We're all broken in one form or fashion. People who know that they're broken, they see their sin as a heart problem not just a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. And they will begin to run away from their attempts to to, to use obedience alone to loosen sin's grip on their life. You'll run away from trying to have a righteousness like the scribes and Pharisees. Instead, broken people would be like the leper running to Jesus, kneeling before Jesus, and saying, Jesus, will you make me clean? Will you make me clean? Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be clean? Lyle shared with me a a funny quote this week. I forgot where he got it from, but someone said, I thought I only had to say yes to you once, Jesus. You know, you say yes to Jesus every day. You say yes to him every day. Is he only clean you once? Yeah, we know the blood curve is our sin, because we still got a lot of junk inside of us. I know I do. I, might not, I don't know what's in your heart, but I know what's in mine. I need him to continue to clean me. And what's frustrating sometimes is that once he cleans me one, from one thing, something else comes up the road. Like, I didn't see that. What's the point? The point is you're going to always need Jesus. You're never going to get to a place where you need less of him. You're always going to need him. You're always going to need him. You need him to make you clean. If you watch the World Series, he, um, Game 7, uh, this pitcher named Madison Bumgarner, he, he called, he's called Madison the Magnificent right now because of his performance in the World Series. I mean, he was lights out in the World Series. I mean, the Kansas City Royals could not hit this guy. Could not hit him. I mean, he had an ERA of .43. If you don't know anything about baseball, that's great. He was lights out. Anybody know what? What Jesus' performance on earth is even better than that. What Jesus did is even greater than that. Better than that. Because what? Because he did what no one else could do. No one else could do what Jesus did on earth for you. And I mentioned this last week. It's called his passive and active obedience. His passive and active obedience. His sacrifice on the cross for your sins. His passive obedience for you. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to lay down his life. But he did for an enemy. While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Die for me. His active obedience is, well, guess what is He fulfilled all the requirements of God's law perfectly, without sin. Can, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. Without sin. The word says he was tempted in every way. Can you imagine Jesus being tempted in every way? But what? Yet without sin. That's a bad man. That's a bad man. In a good way. (laughs) Why? Because that's why he came. That's why he came. He fulfilled all the requirements of the sixth commandment. The external requirements and the internal requirements. He did. Jesus did it all. And Jesus paid it all. Please understand that. He did it all. He paid it all. Is he good? Is Jesus good? I'm talking to you. Okay. Is he magnificent? Yes. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Not here today on Monday morning when you get back to real life. Will you believe it then? God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. And now those who have surrendered their life to Christ in seven faith, you no longer have to hide behind a wall of false righteousness. You no longer have to hide your brokenness. You don't have to hide those things. You can admit, yes, I'm, I've been riding dirty. Yes, I have. And repentance, people, is your ticket to get clean. You want to get your heart detailed like a car, then you need to repent. Repentance is what you need. Repentance. Because if you confess unto Jesus, you're falling short. If you confess unto Jesus, yes, I've fallen short of the sixth commandment. As you acknowledge to Jesus, yes, I'm a broken person. Yes, I'm guilty of riding dirty. But please forgive me of my sin. Mutually broken people live by repentance and they live by faith. Because they know they don't have it all together. They know they need something outside themselves to persevere through this life. That's the Spirit in Jesus working in you. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. That's what you need. Because what flows out of them What flows out of faith and repentance is the practice of reconciliation. That's what Jesus deals with in the next verses here. Reconciliation. What he says in verse 23 he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come quickly and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Least your accuser hand you over to the judge. And the judge to the guard to put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus illustrates for us in these verses the point that those who are right with God through Christ, it shows itself in how you relate to other people. And how you handle conflicts in your personal relationships. In other words, if I've been reconciled to God by faith in Christ, then that means I would practice reconciliation in my relationships with other people. Even the people I don't like. Or who don't like me. I'll practice it on Tuesday at the polls this Tuesday. Reconciliation means peace. It means peace. And the reality is that all of us are guilty of sin against one another. We all have anger. We all uh, struggle with using our tongues in in a way that hurts other people. But we all know we all have, uh, we're all riding dirty in our hearts. So seeking reconciliation and peace in our personal relationships is necessary. And Jesus says in this verse, if you have animosity in your relationships, you must deal with that before you offer your gift to God. So that means if you're here today and you know there's something you have not dealt with with a fellow person, then guess what Jesus is saying? Your gift is not worthy. Go deal with the person you have a conflict with. Go be reconciled to that person. It could be a relative, sibling, parent, spouse, your friend, your kids, your coworker, your neighbor. To whom do you need to do business with this week? To whom do you need to do business with this week? Who are you angry with? Whose intelligence and character have you slandered with your tongue? Who? In verses 25 and 26, Jesus also says, you need to make peace with the adversary. As we know, Not everybody like us, and that's what, we don't like everybody either. So let's just be real. You no, know, we're real here. There are some people you don't like, and there's some people who don't like you. Then just be real about that, right? Can we be real about that? Yes. And what Jesus said is, if that person has something against you, go deal with it. You ain't got to like them, but you can be at peace with them. You ain't got to be buddy-buddy with them, but you can be reconciled with them. And he says, you need to do that. You need to do that quickly. Don't be offended. Don't stand on your rights. Go be reconciled. The only way you're going to do that, that Jesus is going to have to be working in you in a mighty way to give you humility to do that. Jesus is telling us to make things right with those you have sinned against. Make things right with those who have sinned against you. Whether it's a brother a sister or an adversary or a mean neighbor, try to make things right. But guess what? They may not want to be made right with you. And you know what? You did your part. At least you tried. At least you tried. At least you tried. Reconciliation flows out of a life of faith and repentance. Like I said, all of us here are uh, we mutually broken. Everything's broken. Our relationships are. And Jesus wants us to engage in reconciliation in those broken relationships. One pastor says that we're all in danger of this one thing. He says, we are in danger of trying to atone for our moral failures by balancing evil and good. We try to atone for our moral failures by balancing evil with good. We do Christian good works to try to atone for moral failures. A husband who verbally murders his wife may try to bring her flowers or do the dishes, do the laundry. Those are good things now. But has he really dealt with what he did to her? Has he really been reconciled to her? No, he's doing is trying to get back in her good graces. The same thing applies to the wife when she slanders her husband. You do good things to try to, to balance out good and evil. And Jesus is saying, stop that. That's not what I told you to do. Go and be reconciled to your spouse. And what does that look like? It means, honey, when I said that, that hurt you, that made you feel that way, will you please forgive me? That's what it means. Own it, admit it, acknowledge it, repent of it. That's pursuing reconciliation. That's your faith being lived out in your relationships. That's what it means. Kids, with your siblings, your brothers and sisters, you're called to practice the same thing. Trust me, I have two kids. I know they, they can get at it. Reconciliation with one another when you sin against one another. Teens, you can practice that too with your relationship with your parents and your friends in school. We are all broken, but because of Christ, we can practice reconciliation. Here at the Village Church, you know, we, we are a cross-cultural family. That means we're black, white, Hispanic. We're, just all, we're going to have all these cultures here, Republican, Democrat, whatever. We're going to be a melting pot of people. And guess what? We're all going to be broken. We all are broken. And that means we're going to sin against one another in the ways I've already talked about. And so if you're here thinking, well, this church is going to be different, or this is going to be like this, trust me, we ain't a perfect church. We're not. We're a broken church. There are two types of churches in the world, those who know they're broken and those who try to hide it. We're not hiding it. I'm telling you, you come here, you're going to get sin against. I ain't perfect. I'm going to let you down. And so please, don't put me up here. Because when I fall down, it's going to crush you. I thought Alice was different. I'm a sinner. I will let you down. So pray for me. Pray that I be able to stand firm. Pray that I will love my wife and my kids well. Pray that I will be faithful to the gospel and to my call. do Don't worship me. Pray for me. And I'll do the same for you. We're going to face our brokenness. We're going to deal with it. How? We're going to deal with it through an imaginary table called a table of reconciliation. That's how we're going to deal with it. That means when someone has something against you, when someone hears sins against you, out of love for that person, you go and you deal with it because you love them. You keep short accounts with one another. Keep the lines of communication always open. You do those things because you love one another. And if you love one another, you will pursue reconciliation. You either do that or you will gossip and slander. Which one are you going to do? Pick which one you're going to do. We can never forget that you and your family have issues as well. Who all have issues? And if you forget that, that's an issue. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that through the power of Christ, through the power of the gospel, even though we fall and struggle in many ways, you are at work in us. You redeem us, but you don't ever leave us where we are. And so I pray, Lord, that that, that we will be able to practice reconciliation, that that will flow out of our faith, Father, and that we will practice it in our relationships daily. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. We're going to fail a lot. but That's why grace and repentance is there. But I pray that your spirit, Lord, this week, who do we need to be, who do we need to do business with this week? Show us who do we need to be reconciled to this week. doesn't mean we need to be best friends with them, but we can be at peace with them, Lord. And so I pray that you'll move us in that direction this week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service.